Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Love, grief. Life, grief. Loss, grief. What's missing when I say those words? I'll tell you what's missing, the word coping. Um, But I have to tell you that when we think about the notion of loss, the notion of love, the notion of life, when we have those notions, what do we think of? We think about the people that are close to us. We think about the people that have come and gone into our lives. But what do we do about the grief that we carry? What do we do with that? Today, I want to introduce you to Beth Ann Blackwood, who's joining me here today. Beth Ann, thank you so much for today. It's really great to have you here. Um, I don't know when you decided to write the book, but let's talk about that. Because here's, here's what my sense is of what's happening now. And it's really a little bit disturbing for me. You know, we went through periods in time in our history, uh, in, in just the past 20 years, let me just say, just 20 years. And we went through 9-11. Then we went through the worst economic downturn that nobody talks about anymore. And now we're just coming out of what people call the pandemic of the century, whatever you want to call it. And yet very little acknowledgement for what people go through at loss, very little acknowledgement for what just happened, very little acknowledgement. And the dilemma that I have like in my heart is if there's very little acknowledgement for what we do with this on a global level, what the heck do we do on an individual level, right? Right. Well, um, to your question about how I started writing this book, um, I actually started a kind of a diary of my feelings. I'm a, I had decided, I had heard that it takes a year to be kind of be somewhat normal after the loss of a, a spouse. And if I could have found a book to go out and buy that would tell me how I would feel, and to read and know it was going to get better, I would have bought it. Uh, but I didn't know of any book like that. So um, I ended up just writing down my feelings, hoping that as I look back, I would be able to see progress. <laughs> That's what I was shooting for. And then as a part of that grief, you know, you, you naturally reflect. And so as each week went by, I, it, was, it turns out to be a 52 chapter book. I did it for one year. I, would, I started to reflect back on how our relationship began and reflected back on that. And really, it was about halfway through that I decided, you know what, I think I could turn this into a book. So it, it didn't start out to be a book, but uh, it ended up being a book. Yeah, because isn't this what happens? I mean, we go through periods of time in our life, and we realize that there is a message, there's something that has to come forward. And I know this has happened to me in my life. And, you know, I've yet to write a book about them. I, I, I get I get calls every day from publicists, but you know, I'd rather interview you about your book. That's my life calling. And one of the things that that I want to ask you about, if we could, and then we'll we get into a lot more detail about the book, is that there are so many people now that don't know what to do with their grief. Would you acknowledge that? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And and, and if you talk to them, they feel like they're invisible. They feel like nobody's listening. They feel like people are saying, just suck it up, pull up your, you know, just move forward. Right. And yet, I don't know that that solution, is it? Is that the solution for people? No, 
it's it's really not. Uh, there is no sucking it up. Uh, it is a process. It's not. It's like telling someone to be brave. Well, right. <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, there is no quick solution, but there is there is peace. There is moving forward, but it is a process, and I think it's important for people to know it is a process. It's not going to get better right now, but it is going to get better. And I think you do have to walk through that grief path. And I think if you don't, you end up, you know, not moving forward with life, being unhappy. And I do think it, it leads to some people, you know, turn grief into anger. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of um, violence. And I would bet you that at least half of that is has some basis in grief that was never really resolved. Yeah. And that you're bringing my next question up. And that is really the understanding. Could we talk about this from your perspective and from what you share in the book? You know, clearly, you know, love sometimes is so deep. Right. That's my sense of your experience. Yes. Right. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's no way to explain all of the great, cute little sayings we say about it. They just don't apply. Um, And yet at the same time, my sense is your vision and mission is to make sure that you give people a perspective that could help them right? Help them, like you said, love, life, help them, help them with coping, help them with the process. What do you say to those people, especially from your story and what you've learned in your journey? What do you say for people listening today as a starting point? Because you and I both know they are sitting with their grief. They can't get an audience to listen to them. Their spouses, they, they just, nobody wants to hear it. They're like, we're sorry for your loss. Don't you love that phrase? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And then let's, it's what it implies is sorry for your loss, honey, but let's move on. You got to do the dishes, the laundry. You got to go back to your job. But that's not the world you experienced, is it? No, Um, you just can't do that. And I do think it's important, or I think it's helpful, very helpful to start writing down your feelings, whatever they are. I mean, if you're mad, if you're sad, if you don't think you can get out of bed, I mean, in my book, you know, I'm very, very, very brutally honest about what it was like. And I'm a really active, really energetic person. I'm the kind of person that before this would have thought I could suck it up. And I really couldn't um, just, you know, turn on a dime and suck it up. But I do think the first thing you need to do is one, believe it's going to get better. And then two, start writing down your feelings, letting that emotion out. Um, if you can talk to somebody every week, great. But most people get tired of hearing about it. So I think I think a great thing you could do for yourself is to write down your feelings, vent your feelings, whatever they are, you know, daily, weekly, whatever works for you. But I think that's a really good first step for people. Yeah, and it's a really good first step. And the other thing too, I want to ask you. I was I picked this up from your book, but I really wanted to ask you about this. Is sometimes the hardest thing to do is to to write your feelings down. And then think that when you share them with family members or friends, they're going to have that same level of empathy. You know, I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors, you know, Pat, look, you sharing is not always caring. And there's some things you have to use discernment about. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I do think you you do need to be careful. When I wrote this book, obviously, I'm putting it all out there. I did share it with my uh, stepchildren, my mother, my brother before and and let them read it and tell me, you know, told them I was thinking about putting it out there, wanted their permission to put it out there. And, um, and they read it and said, yes, um, do that. I still hesitated because it is very personal, but you know, it's me. I'm okay with that. Um, And 
it led to great healing for me. And just the first few people that read it and, and got back to me with their feelings about it, I realized it was helping a lot. And that's worth it to me. I mean, that's really worth it to me. Yeah, I'm going to read something because this is how you know when you open up a book. And I've been doing this 20 years. I've read thousands of books. Um, and I, I love it because I grew up basically illiterate. So reading to me is, um, you know, it's one of those things that when you think about people and reading, for me, it is such a blessing because I couldn't read most of my life. Um, and even if I could read, I wouldn't even understand what some of the words are. So the first thing I looked at is grief weighs me down like a black bear settling in for hibernation on my shoulders. Experts say it takes at least a year to adjust to losing a spouse. I picture a knapsack filled with 12 heavy stones flattened to the ground. As each month passes, a stone will work its way out of the pack until eventually I can get to my knees, then stand and then walk. At least that's the hope. That is one of the best expressions that I have read in 20 years doing this of a visual perspective of how you feel on the onset and how hope can manifest. Well, thank you so much. And in writing that, I did hope that every month a stone would fall out of the backpack, that I would feel lighter. And, and actually, that's not the way it works. <laughs> I found out because um, grief is not linear. You know, it's not a, <laughs> oh, well, I'll, do, I'll put in one month and I'm going to be this much better, two months, this much better. It just doesn't work like that, yeah. uh, which is, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry, which is why I think it's important to. That, that's um, right. Which, you want to yeah, my pug, my pug saw something. Imagine. Well, I want you to just join in on the conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's um, but I, I did learn that it does. The load does lighten, but it never, it never goes all the way away, mm -hmm. and that's okay. You know, that's where you get at the end of that journey is, and I'm still on the journey. Oh, but, of course. But the the load is is manageable. It becomes very manageable, um, where before it seemed totally unmanageable. But you learn how to carry it and other people help you carry it. And um, and it ends up, you know, as I do say in the book, I, I, one of the big lessons I learned was even if happiness isn't achievable all the time, um, peace is achievable. And peace is incredibly comfortable. Um, peace with your situation, peace with where you are. And um, that was a huge lesson I learned and a life lesson I can carry forward with me to everything. I want to ask you this question because... I know I read the book. I know you very beautifully describe early experiences right from the funeral and the director. I have a friend who lost her husband over a year ago and he was so well known. They gave him a parade. And then immediately thereafter, situations came up in her home and her property and just totally a new development, destroying her land, flooding and this has been an ongoing process for her. And I just wonder if there will come a day for her when she will grieve the loss of her husband. Because sometimes in life, and, and I, I would love for you to talk to this, because this is really what a lot of people have gone through. And, you know, I get the sense from you, too, in reading the book. I mean, yeah, funeral directors, they don't smile. Maybe they do. I don't know. You know, they smile for my friend because they knew him. But there's so much that goes on, Beth, and there's so much that goes on. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And, and, I do. and yeah, you make a point of that because it isn't like you lost somebody, you know, your bestie. It's like you lost somebody and, oh, my gosh, here's life, right? That was the way right. it was for you, too. Right, right. 
And I do think, when, in, in talking about your friend, I, I do think there will come a time when the world stops and she will have to, she will grieve. Um, because I, I do notice a lot of people do that. They jump in to a lot of stuff and try to keep busy, 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 busy to ward off. And there's, there's some good in that. But if you're at some point, it's got to come out. And at some point, you've got to live with it and learn to cope with it so that you can move forward. And, um, and so I, I'm sure your friend will at some point that will happen. I mean, at some point, it will happen. Yeah, I love the way you take us on a uh, probably not the right term, but I want to talk about it, a chronological almost almost like, a, you know, a timeline to walk us through it. And I love that you did that. And the reason I love it, because while we can sense the emotional nature of it, we can sense the emotional nature of the day-to-day things right. that you were done, that every day something had to be done. And every day it was a reminder. And 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 I got this sense, like I could take what you wrote, maybe not exactly, and almost superimpose it on a, another person because this is really what you're faced with. I mean, there are variations and there are differences. Why did you decide to write the book this way? I was so curious. I'm so grateful you did, Beth Ann, but I was so curious about it. Well, I really wanted to, I, I ended up starting it this way because I was hoping as I wrote that when I looked back, I would see that things had gotten better for me. And then also as it went along, I hoped that I could look back and see how I dealt with a particularly bad day and come up, you know, and, and get some, um, some help for myself. So I was kind of being my own therapist really, but you know, I, I think when one thing in the book, you know, I would start, my body would tell me things where something was bad. I mean, I, I'd get depressed. I'd want to stay in bed. I would be, you know, very teary. And I didn't really know why I was like, well, what in the world? And then I would find out, Oh, uh, this is Easter and Easter. We used to dress the dogs up in the outfits and we'd go to the outdoor service. And I didn't realize that until, you know, I was really in the ditch. I mean, I just didn't even know that. And it took me two or three or four of those things to finally start planning. Okay. This day is probably not going to be great. So here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's mm-hmm. what I'm going to try to do to make it not yeah. a, a terrible abyss and make it very bearable. But it's just so funny how you're, your body, your mind, your subconscious is starting to react before your conscious mind even knows that, that, you know, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> so I am so glad you brought that up because, you know, in the world we live in, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but very rarely. And I think this is, I think Elizabeth Kubler Ross's, uh, uh, you, you know, let, let me just call it outline on grief, right. uh, was, has been taken to so many different levels that she didn't really mean it to go. Right. I mean, she's talking to a person on a deathbed. She wasn't talking to the survivors. But, you know, it's it's a great thing to look at. However, what's left out of the equation and what we're finding now and all you need to do is read the statistics on alcohol addiction. And by the way, divorce right now that are coming out, the impact on women especially is just devastating. But one of the things we don't take into consideration is what you just said. In the world of psychology, most of us would call them triggers, post-traumatic stress disorder triggers. And yet we just don't find the love for people that go through this. Right. We, we somehow just want to wish the grief away. And I think what you're doing is saying, this is a way to understand the day by day. This is right. a way to understand the stories of this. This is a way for you to relate. But also, aren't you saying, this is the way I bet then can help. Exactly. That is exactly right. This is the way 
this is how I dealt with it. I think there's things in there that other people could find helpful in dealing with it. And then the hope, the, the, the hopeful message that, hey, I mean, this is how miserable I was. I mean, I really laid it out there. And he and Tom was the love of my life. I mean, I was wildly in love with him. I think you can tell that. I got that. I mean, <laughs> and, nobody uh, can write the way you wrote this day by day, week by week. I mean, you just it just it takes a lot to be yes. able to do that is a deep, right. deep love that you still have. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I still think of Tom multiple times a day. I dream about him at night. I mean, it's, it's still there. But um, but, you know, there's a way through this and there's a way to get to a life that you can be happy with. And I, I'm, you know, and it's a it's a solo process, unfortunately, most of the time. And so I'm hoping that this book can show my solo effort to get there and that, hey, it it, it you can get through this and then you can start yeah. to see joy and start to see, yeah. you know, a future without the person that you lost yeah. and, and a different life than the one that you had that might be OK. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the things I want to take a minute, first of all. Please, I want just everybody to know, one, how they can find out more about you and how they can get a copy of the book. Let's just make sure we give them a lot of information right now, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. My, uh, the, You can buy the book on Amazon. Uh, you can also buy it on the Barnes & Noble site, et cetera. But Amazon is probably your best place. And it's moving forward, looking back. Um, and uh, I have a website that's uh, bethannblackwood.com. I also have one called bablackwood.com. You can go to either one. Yeah. Um, but it's all there. Uh, but yes, I would, I would love for people. I would love, I would have loved to have had this book when I was navigating through this. And, and it's, there's just such a solidarity too. you know, Hey, uh, I'm not, what I'm feeling is not weird. I'm not crazy. Um, and there is a way through this. And I would have loved to have something like that. It would have been very comforting to me. Um, and so I'm hoping that this can be helpful to other people going through the same thing. I think it is. I think the stories, I want to get to the stories uh, here, here uh, in the time we have left. I think the stories are wonderful. <laughs> you sound like me. You've got to be a Sagittarian. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you are or not. Um, but I bought a horse and I don't know how to ride. I don't know anything. About <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you're, you're also sharing other stories in here, but some people would say these are spontaneous. I wouldn't. I'd say that they're intuitive healing. Methods. Absolutely. I, yeah. That's what I would say. Oh, yeah. But some of the stories in here are just beautiful the way you've you've woven them in. The hardest thing for people, and I really, I, I, I'm going to the horse part for a reason. When you're in grief, one of the hardest things to do is treat yourself well. Right. Self-care is the last thing you think about. Getting yourself a horse or getting yourself a Harley. Week 29. <laughs> what did you learn about self-care on this journey? And uh, did the horse help? <laughs> the horse was great. Um, the in fact, the horse, it tells you what I named him. I named him Merlin. His real name was Fergus Dungarvan. And I was like, ah, that's not going to work. But I, I do think uh, one of the things that I, I think it is intuitive, looking back, I realized what a benefit that was. But I didn't start out to buy a horse. I didn't have any idea um, of that that would be a good thing to do. I was I was on the computer one night just looking. I started Googling most beautiful horses in the world for reasons I have no idea and found that gypsy banners were these beautiful, beautiful horses. Then I go to an auction site site and start, which is by the way, not the way you're supposed to buy a horse and end up with a beautiful, very obstinate horse. Um, and what I learned was I loved Merlin. I mean, I love spending time with him. He didn't want to be ridden. He loved to be, uh, 
have salon care. So we took a lot of, he's got, you know, this long, long hair and long, long mane. Mm. Um, but I learned during that time, you know, that was something Tom and I never did together. That was part of life I'd never done before. And that was yeah. great because while I was doing those things, my mind was totally off of, of Tom, my grief, my life. Yeah. And it was the start of a new life. It was the start of a creating my own life. And there's a little magic in that. Um, it gives you hope. It starts to get you out of your, your grief and the old life you had. And I, I thought, you know, it ended up being incredibly helpful to me, but like you said, it was again, intuition, subconscious, because I did not sit, okay, now I need to go find right. a hobby, buy something. It just happened. Yeah. And that is a message I pull away from the book that we're not, we don't talk about. And thank you for including it is when you're doing this and you're in the process of it, you have to trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. If your intuition yeah. says, sell your home, you do it. You know, right. I mean, I don't make blanket statements, but following intuition is something that that got me here. It's a reason I'm not dead today. Um, but let's talk about you as a professional for a moment. Yes, right? well, I'm a lawyer. Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Yeah, um, that's husband... what I'm trying to say. Is <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, so I, I just want to make sure everybody understands that you as a person were fully expressed. Yes. Right. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Yes. And it's not like how many balls can in the air can you juggle? Mm-hmm. And it is very clear when you read the book that this is your life's path. This is something you do. I'm very familiar with it because I've been interviewing attorneys for my friend with mm-hmm. that property situation. Uh, I have a new respect for attorneys that I've never <laughs> had before, especially those that deal with hydraulics and drainage. Mm-hmm. But how did you keep it all going? Well, I loved it. So, and I, and I still go. love practicing law. So, no, that, you know, you love something. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Otherwise, why would anyone have children? I mean, there's so much work. It's <laughs> because you love them so much. You know? <laughs> but that's that's why I wanted to ask you, because there is another lesson in this. There's so many. Uh, you, you talk about this. I mean, you talk about law in here, not law per se, but you talk about situations. You talk about helping another lawyer on a difficult case mm-hmm. and you refer to Tom. You know, I know exactly what Tom would say about the issue. I mean, so you weave this beautiful story of how you go on with your life and how you might have a conversation with Tom, if mm-hmm. right? Like he's right. still there. And so often we don't remember to do that. We mm-hmm. don't reflect on that. And I love the way you brought that and weave that in because it was very clear to me that yes, you had a loss and yes, you're grieving, but you are creating a new tapestry now right, for your life. And by writing it down in this way, I hope people will see that they can be who they were meant to be and still go through the loss. What do you think? Absolutely. And that's what, I'm, that is what I'm hoping. And, and I do think you, if you start looking at it as creating a new life, I mean, as I said, there's magic in that because how often do you get to do that? I mean, how often do you really get to start from scratch basically? Um, and so that is one you can look at it in a terrible way or in a good way. And I think if you can look at it in a good way, you can start to kind of enjoy, well, hey, like, for example, I would never have bought a horse with Tom Brown. He would have had, he would have had a fit. <laughs> <laughs> I got that sense. Yeah. I, I did, I did, I did come to that conclusion on my own right there. With that. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it, you know, you, you can't create a life, but you talking about uh, Tom, it, it's interesting. Now, if I'm having a difficult decision, it's so funny. If I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of, you know, not sure about a certain thing, then I'll, then I'll just say, well, what would Tom do about this? And the answer comes to me immediately. I mean, it's so clarifying. And so that's been a huge help. I mean, he's still here, yeah. you know, telling, you know, helping me navigate this. And I think in, 
in one part of the book and it is so meaningful to me. I don't, I don't know if it is to other people, but Mm -hmm. in one part I talk about, you know, as I was creating this new life, I felt like I was leaving Tom behind and there's kind of that, well, if I get on with my life and keep moving, am I, you know, I felt like I'm leaving him behind, especially since we practice together and live together. I felt Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm moving forward. He's back here. And then in my mind, I pictured it a different way. I pictured him being in front of me and me going down, you know, a river. And mm-hmm. instead of leaving him behind, I'm going to him and I'm going to have experiences to tell him about, and he's going to have something to tell me. So yeah. I'm looking forward to him instead of thinking of he's gone forever. Yeah. Last question, but I have to really bring it up. Agnes. Okay. Agnes. Agnes. Yeah. Agnes. <laughs> I think I know Agnes better than I know my best friend. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Agnes was a tough cookie. <laughs> exactly. But the way that you brought her into this, mm-hmm. it's just really beautiful. Obviously, this is somebody that was important. Yes. Right? Exactly. Well, Tom, you know, Tom respected his mother immensely, which as you got from the book, Tom doesn't suffer fools, doesn't suffer silliness, doesn't suffer laziness, doesn't suffer anything. And a lot of that got from his mom. Um, And she, you know, started out not liking me. And over the years, um, we developed a really good friendship. And I respected and admired her greatly. And she ended up loving me too. And it it ended up being a beautiful relationship. And I'm so glad we got there. (laughs) So glad we got to that point. Yeah, so much more I could talk to you about. Probably other stories you're, that have come to mind since other things you may want to write about. But I think the most important thing I'm, I want to, you know, just at least close this part of our, our conversation about is now that you've done this, now that the book is here, and please tell people how to get it again. What is your wish for people like you, oh, people that are grieving? What is your my, wish? My wish for people is like me is one hang in there. If you will, if you will live with the grief it will get better. And there is a way forward and a way forward to, a, you know, to a, a life with a lot of joy in it. So if you can just hang in there and hang on, and that's what I'm hoping people can read this book and they can see the week by week and they can hopefully relate to what's happening and then see, you know, it, it is going to get better. It's bearable and life can be good again. I love it. Thank you so much. Please tell folks again how they can find out about you um, also how they can get copies of the book and how they can pay this forward. Sure. Um, the book is on Amazon moving forward, looking back, Beth Ann Blackwood. I have a website with my name, Beth Ann Blackwood or bablackwood.com. And I, I really do urge you to, if you are suffering a loss and you feel lost, uh, I really urge you to read the book. I think it, I I'm hoping it will be comforting. I think it'll be helpful. I think it will give you some hope. Yeah. Bethann, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for giving us a perspective that we need. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. We'll see you in a minute. Hey, everybody, welcome. What can we say in the world we live in today when we look at people? And and this is why I started my foundation this month. It's called Women in Media. And it's because that it really is to lay a platform out for women to be heard. And there are stories that need to be told, but the, the pathway to tell those stories can be sometimes difficult and sometimes impossible. Today's story will take you on a journey for what it's like for, for Mia, Mia O'Day, born in Palestine, child bride, the journey comes to the United States. Enduring is not even the right word for this. Years of abuse, 
And you all have heard me do more shows than you can even imagine. And I talked about people that women coming in from other countries into the United States, the pain of the silence of abuse. But if you're Mia, you write Mia's Odyssey. You, you don't just write it, but you create a movement about it. And today you're going to hear from an incredible woman. And when I say incredible, what do I mean by that? I mean someone who got stronger, who decided that she had something powerful to say, to understand that there was a life path for her, a life path that brought her to where she is today. And when you read this book and you go through this, there are parts of it that doesn't matter where you're from, you will relate to. Why? Because it is the untold story. You know, it is what Simon and Garfunkel said many, many years ago. It's the sound of silence. Mia, thank you for joining me here today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to talk about, I want to start with what the statement I made. Myself and a number of people here in the Pacific Northwest, we started to look at the plight of women, people that have come in from other countries here, and what has happened over the past 10 years. My friend is an immigration attorney, and so the stories are crazy. But what we discovered is the sound of silence around Journeys like yours, stories like yours, it's deafening. How did it feel for you if we could start with this question? Was it a mixed bag of emotions? Did you think you were going to carve out an amazing life? When my marriage was arranged, is that what you mean? Yes. I had that gut feeling that it's no, because I did witness growing up. Uh, my neighbors are going through the same thing. My sisters are going through the same thing. It don't matter which way you're related to people in your family, your friends, your neighbors. It seemed like all of it was really kind of the same. A lot of abuse. Women are not heard. Uh, we don't really matter. It gets to a point where like, why bother even speaking your opinion or what you think? So just just obey. Mm -hmm. It's That's how they want it. So no, there was no carving a good life out of uh, being married to him at all. It's just I, I felt it. And I was growing up watching the next door neighbors being abused, dragged from her hair. And I'm thinking about it, I'm like, is that going to be me one day? And it was not very long. It was just a good few years until I was in her situations. And my sisters were still going through the same thing. Nothing changed. There is nothing change over there. Abuse wherever you go, there is abuse everywhere in this world. And it's sad and it's unfortunate. And it should never happen. But in some cultures, it's you can't really talk about it. It's like you got to get used to it and you got to be okay with it. And the only way to get out of it is just you have to wait until life goes on and you're done. And uh, that's how it feels over there. Right. My sisters are living it right as we speak. You you refuse to be defeated though. No. Somewhere within you, somewhere <laughs> and, within you, there was something in there that made you different in the way you handled it. And we're going to talk more about your journey, but I'm really interested in, was there something specific? Like, was there a moment, a tipping point? Well, there is a few. First, uh, I know when I had enough with him and I left when we came to Michigan, I know my kids were struggling like a lot. They saw so much. I was struggling and I know we deserve a lot better and nobody should live like that. And we all deserve to be loved, respected and treated right and be happy. So there's a lot of things that kind of lead to like, okay, I, I, I refuse to live like that. Enough is enough and should have never happened to start with. But no, I, I don't give up. It's just I always I always get up and fight back. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting. I want to talk to this, and I think you can talk about it. I mean, this is about Odyssey taking back my soul. It's a powerful, powerful. I mean, when you say Odyssey, 
everybody. You can relate to that, right? Yes. You know, it's like an epic journey, which it is. But the part that many people would be surprised about is taking back my soul. I want to ask you this question. I had several moments in my life, not quite as extreme as yours, but moments where I just felt my soul disintegrating. Now, some people tell me, Pat, that never happens. But my answer is, it felt like it that. felt like it. it. I know exactly like what you mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Disintegrating is my term. What's your term to describe where your soul went and why it was so important to take it back? It's like you, your own person, and those really abusive people are just living their life and they're taking over yours too. It's like they're running your life for you, and you're just a shell of yourself. It feels like you're you're just a moving object to them, and they live what they want and how they want it, and they take yours too to add on their misery because it's just that's not fair and nobody you you your own person everybody should love and live the way they should be treated what was my own yeah i mean this is the whole part of this and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about a couple of other things as we go forward but i think it's so interesting to be able to show people you know what it is that went on inside of you right that in the middle of the darkest of the darkest of the darkest moments that had you rise up like the phoenix because a lot of women can't right but there had to be something inside of you either something that called to you or something that you believed in something i know there is for me yeah i'm the kind of person my personality till today i just don't give up i always uh, i sit i think i get knocked down and i always get back up but how to feel to be in it it's like you're you're dead but at the same time, you feel all the pain that's going on around you in your in your heart and your body and your soul. Like everything in you is numb, but you feel everything. And I I I don't want to live like that. I know there is better out there, and I know there is no way this is it for me and for my family. And I was just constantly thinking about that. But what's really hard spot was over there is you leave, they're gonna get you back. You leave, there is no voice for the woman. Where am I gonna go? Where am I gonna work? How am I gonna? And he will take the kids. There's not much laws at all to support you. And even if he's in the wrong, you you will most likely not get your kids. And I did not want my kids to stay like that. So I always have that voice in me. Like, this is, this is no way this is it. I have to fight for back for more. Even if I don't know exactly where I'm going, it cannot be worse than what I am. Yeah. This is the dilemma we have at the moment. This is where I sit. This is where I see the dilemma. Uh, we live in this pop culture world now. Mm -hmm. And there are so many new movies, TV series. I mean, out of the gate is the new superhero Mar Captain Marvel movie and the television series of young girls, right, in the United States living this great life as if what you're explaining is the anomaly. And I think it's the other way around. I think that we are sensationalized, you know, different cultures. There are various cultures, but, you know, Palestinian is one of them. You know, if you look at these the, the, these movies that are coming out and they show these great and happy families and, you know, the young girls can break away and yeah, she becomes a superhero. I'm not saying that's bad, but what I'm saying is it doesn't really get to the core of the majority of situations that you're talking about, right? What do you make of that? Am I off? Are there more happy cases? What is this? Where do you stand with this in, in addressing people on this? I mean, like where you live, like you're always like if the culture, like you'll get judged. I mean, how am I going to explain it? It's like 
in some families you do find like an open mind where like they're okay and in some families are like they're really strict they're really traditional and they care a lot about the culture and the religion and all that kind of way of living and you'll find that a mix of there I feel like the majority of people are very hard on women in the culture on that side of the world uh from what I hear like I lived in I went to Jordan I was born in Palestine I lived in Qatar uh I really very rare and to see like a woman who's really walking side by side by the man. And even here in Michigan, there are certain areas where I still can see, you can tell where there are walking. You, you, you can tell that it's still there. So not everybody really breaks free out of it. I don't know. Uh, not my experience. Yeah. And you know, the reason I ask you that is because there's so many stories. If you're like me and you're like you, and you speak and you you work with women and you help women alone away. I'm not saying men don't go through things, but that's just not my area, right? Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's my choice to really work with women. That's where I've seen the abuse. That's where I've been in abuse. I feel like women are being more abused. Yeah, you're right on that. Yeah, I get. Well, I mean, people look at me when I talk about my abuse story and they say, "No, that can't be right." You, you got to be kidding me, Pat. You know, this you're the girl, tough girl from the Bronx. <laughs> yeah, um, abuse doesn't know any boundaries it doesn't know that it doesn't know where i'm from or where you're from you yeah, know i agree with you you know it's sorry about that it's yeah. just here you and i are and we need to shine a light but even more importantly the light that you're shining is not one of telling a story without a powerful message at the end of your book you even talk about goals so something about you you know as you, I guess, putting your soul back together, there's something about your journey that is giving advice to to women and saying, you can do this too. What is that about you? What is that that you've learned where you're now saying, women, you can do this? Uh, because you don't really deserve to be treated like that. If they choose to think that how you should live your life, that is not up to them. They can think whatever they want to think, but you have, you are your own person. You choose to live a happy life. You deserve that. You, you, you do not let anybody tell you, you deserve to be treated wrong. You don't, you deserve to be raped and abused and none of that. That's their problem. You, you choose to be happy and yeah, fight yeah. for yourself because if they're going to treat you like that, that's, that's their problem. Uh, you should stand up for yourself and you should say no. And I don't give up until today. I'm in a very good spot. When I left, I never thought. I'm going to get to like where I am, but I just don't give up. I get knocked down and I still get up and I put goals. And every time I meet my goals, I say, okay, well, what's next? I'm going to up it a little bit. And it's just, that's just me. And I know everybody got it in them. And I know you can do it. I When I came to America, I didn't speak English. I was scared to go toward the door. If I see somebody speaking close to me, I start shivering and shaking because I just don't know what is the motives, what's their intention. And uh, it was terrifying and everything was against me. Like I had zero knowledge of how to live in America and uh, day by day, uh, don't give up, keep fighting. If it doesn't work out for you today, that's okay. Uh, get up again and try tomorrow. I did that way of living since 2006. Yeah. And I just, just don't give up. I was reading in the book. Yeah. I, there, I was reading in the chapter in the book and I think it's called duties of a wife. It's really hard for me to read this, but there's, there's one thing you say, and, and I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna paraphrase it, but it, it was like, 
you say, well, the next the next few re weeks was like I was dying a slow, painful death. These are the words, right? That feeling, dying a slow, painful death. Living in that kind of marriage, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And yet, there's also children involved, right? Right. That makes it harder because you're trying to care for your family and you're trying to give them your attention and your love. And if you're feeling like you're lacking on all that, how are you going to really function and give them that when when you're barely living? It's it's hard. You want to, but your circumstance, your situation with your partner, you're being abused, you're scared, you're walking on eggshell. Uh, you're wondering when is the next time I'm going to have to get undressed against my wish and yeah. have that man watch me cry in his arms and he just satisfy himself and gets whatever he wants. And then he tells you, get up, go make me food, uh, get me my coffee. Uh, and then you have to get out of that room and go do all that and care for your family. Where are you going to come up with that? It's it's not fair mm -hmm. to them. Either. No, and you have a secret. So it's like you're 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 in the situation with him, but you're not gonna you're gonna do your best not to really offload that on your kids. Did the kids know though? I'm just curious about this because as I'm reading your book, my sense is this is extremely difficult to hide. Uh, they they were up on everything. They heard the cry. They heard the scream. They heard the abuse. And when you walk out of the bedroom with your face washed away, and you, you they can feel it. Your kids can feel you if you're okay or not. And my kids, my kids witnessed everything. There was nothing hiding from them. They, they knocked on the door. They begged him to stop. They cried. They pleaded. They can witness how cold he was. Mm -hmm. It's just so it's, you can't hide from them. And no. he didn't care if they heard or saw anything. Mm -hmm. He actually used to encourage them back home to be more disrespectful toward women. And thank God my kids are absolutely the opposite of that. They are. Yeah. You're definitely something I'm very proud of, and I'm grateful. I, I'm I'm very grateful that you're able to stand out here to be on this show and talk about it. Um, here you are, and people that read the book. So let's just take a minute before I jump to the next question. I want to make sure everybody knows how to find out more about you, how to look at the trailers for the book, all of the above. What is the best way, Mia, for people to do that? Uh, my book is sold on Amazon. I know Barnes and Nobles, they sell it online. And you can go to my website. You can find everything and learn everything about me on my website. It's meazodyssey.com. People are probably wondering, how did Mia get from there to get this book written and published? Because that's that's a part of the journey too, isn't it? It is. And it was difficult. It wasn't easy. It took a lot of tears and emotion being put out it, it, it wasn't easy but it's it gotta be done uh i know it's hard for me to probably reach to where my sisters and my family and all the women over there and it is really sad but being over here uh i'm grateful because it really did help me speak up and put it out there and we're all women no matter where we are where we come from and what culture we we deserve to be treated right and we deserve to speak and we have to i just it's not fair that just because we're born women, it's not fair that we have to be put down and we be beneath yeah. men. It's just, it yeah. shouldn't be that way. There's no way that's right. No, there isn't. And, you know, here in the United States, there's, you know, a great expose, you know, with the whole Weinstein thing. You know, women came forward. It was very difficult. You know, mm -hmm. it's we think here like, oh, American women, oh, they're just going to. No, it is extremely difficult here. The stigmatization here. Yeah. But this is something you did. 
how did you put yourself and your family back together? Uh, determination, tenacity, <laughs> uh, work hard, uh, be constantly out, ask questions, learn. You get turned down from here, uh, try again. Uh, if it didn't work on that side, okay, well, I'm coming back for you the next day and I'm going to try again. And if you're annoyed by me, I'm going to give you some time. You can cool down, but I'll be back. Mm -hmm. I, it's just That's just my nature. I'm still that way. I was like that way. Back and I will be always like that. <laughs> exactly. That's just my me. You know, and the reason I'm asking is um, I work with other women that are from cultures. Um, there's one in particular now we're working with where, for example, the stigma of mental illness is just very hard to talk about. If you come out and talk about it, pretty much you're just cut off. How has your culture, and, and it's a question for you, but it's also your children. We do get this sense, especially, you know, with the latest things that are coming on TV and Hollywood, we get a sense that cultures, even my culture, that these cultures are really open and accepting. But then when you talk to women, they're like, oh, no, like my family is not even talking. How, what was the impact from your, let's call it cultural legacy? What, what, what did the what did the culture and subculture think of you being open about this? You notice I didn't pinpoint any particular people. I'm just real generic. Are you talking about like how my culture handled like yeah. the book? Yeah. Like, for example, there, 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 you know, I, I found out that my grandfather was born in Brazil. So there were certain things that I learned about my subculture, Latina subculture, right? Um, every subculture has their own set of unwritten rules. Well, I mean, since I've been here like for so many years, uh, I know one of my sisters knows about the book uh, that it's out, and I know the rest. Like I have, I don't have no connection with anybody else over mm -hmm. there. And she's very protective of me. We kind of co connected again in 2019, but oh. we were connected before that uh, for like about 16 years. I have mm -hmm. not talked to anybody. Yeah, but they. She, she's the only one, her and her family, that they know about the book. I have yeah. not been back home. I'm sure if they would find out, uh, men will be very offended, but that's okay. That is their problem. Yeah. Somebody got to say it. And yeah. uh, some women probably will be nervous to really express like, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's really good that somebody's really doing that. Somebody speaking on our behalf. But they would be scared to put it out there. Exactly. It, yeah. Because they're nervous of the consequence from the man. Like, how dare you oh. say that? I mean, I own you. Uh, you're not allowed to speak your mind or talk. So mm -hmm. I don't think it'll go well. Over here uh, in the area that I live in, it's like not very much people that I am connecting with. Uh, there's a few that they were really kind of happy about it. And yeah. women. Yeah. The way you describe this experience, I can't even talk about it. I'm getting, I'm getting a little choked up here. I can only imagine being you, not really mastered the English language like you have today, right? You're in this place, lost your child. They take you back to see your child. I, I can't even imagine the pain of that and not being able to express. But I'm telling you the way you wrote about it. I mean, I'm getting a little bit upset right now. He wouldn't even tell me where, where did the baby go. I know after I got admitted to the hospital and uh, I was taking a lot of medication because I was in so much pain. I remember when I started kind of just barely coming out of it, I held the baby's hand. I can remember it was really cold. That was the only time, but because they have so much medicine in me, I wasn't like really fully all the way aware of everything. 
And when I went home, they sent me home with a teddy bear. And I asked him, where, so where does the baby go? That He wouldn't even tell me where did it go? He says, it's right. done. What's done is done. Uh, basically, okay, just moving on. Uh, but I have no idea. Like, I cannot even go back and visit and know where it is. I, I have no idea. He would, it's like nothing. Yeah. You know, and I want to be clear to everybody. This is not just about physical abuse. This is this is a level of verbal and emotional abuse. I, I was reading, and you know, you are very good at the way you laid the story out. But I was reading something here also about the verbal abuse. You know, comments. You know, you should have left a little brat at the hospital. I mean, yep. things like that. You know, that's verbal abuse, and the threats. They're also threats. Yeah. Know, how was that? It seems like no matter how you turned, you were going to get it one way or the other. It was either going to be a verbal threat, it was going to be a threat to harm children, or it was going to be a threat to harm you, or then actually harm you. I mean, this sounded nonstop. It didn't matter which way you turn. There was always something like living in fear, living on eggshell. It don't matter which way you go. You're constantly, your body's constantly like warning you, okay, it could happen any second. It could happen any minute, nighttime, daytime. It didn't matter. Many times I pushed the couch behind the door. I know it's not going to stop him from coming in, but at least it gives you a second to say like, okay, it's coming. I know it's coming, but at least I got a second. And yeah, it was uh, physically, mentally, psychologically, verbally. Uh, yeah. The amount of times that I showered with hot water, my whole body turns to red because I tried to scrape him off my body. And he would see you cry and he just, he pleasures himself. He sees a woman cry and he is completely okay. He's emotionless. Yeah. He has no heart. And then after that, he tells you, okay, now you got done with your this duty now. Now get up and make me something to eat. You wait on him hand and foot and he's okay. Now when he treats a woman like that and he's proud of himself. And a lot of men out there are, are like that. And more, is, more than people know. More, more than, than people know. More than people know. You have no idea how much it happens behind closed doors. Nope. Like I said, it's scary because if I speak, if it gets out there, is that going to make my situation even worse? And you're going to even more fear. Yeah, yeah. It, it will make the situation I've, worse. I've, I've been you know, there. And when you're talking about, and let's just be very clear, in the world of immigration and immigrants, and I want to just talk about this in general, even if it doesn't apply to you, there is a there is a rule when it comes to this. And it is, you don't speak about it. You don't want to draw attention. Women, especially in the past number of years, the women in the Latino community, especially women that have come from Mexico, the level of abuse that it's not just in the family, but in employment. Yes. Nobody is speaking about it. So I want to ask you the question. Have you driven the sports car yet? Oh, I was out yesterday. I drove it with the top. <laughs> I got sunburned. I looked this morning. I'm like, oh my God, it looks like I got cooked. <laughs> I love that you put this list together. And what I'm talking about for all of you, Mia's, look, Mia's Odyssey, uh, Go to they can go to your website, Mia, right? Again, it's miasodyssey.com, correct? Uh -huh. Okay. I am so thrilled. This is the way you kind of brought the conversation in the book because what it demonstrates, and it's powerful, powerful for you to have done this. It demonstrates that despite everything else that came in the book, despite every moment, despite the pain and suffering of your children, You've been able to really take back your soul. Yeah, you, you know, you're working it. on it. Yes. Your kids are supportive and working on it. But you're also drawing a line in the sand that says, we have to stop this. And one of the most amazing things that happens is you get to the point where you can write this list. And, and you had encouragement to write this list. 
personal and professional goals. Yes. I want to ask you, how did that feel to write that and how you doing on the list? It feels really good. And it feels like I have so much to be grateful for in every way. And I'm really glad that I'm able on my behalf to really put the message out there to help other women because I exactly know how that feels. Uh, the goals are amazing. I I accomplished quite a bit of them. On a personal level, I I was told that I need to take my very first vacation in my entire life. Everybody's telling me I should do that. I'm telling me too. I don't have time for that right now. I I do spend quite a bit of time with my kids. We hang out a lot. And I know they're like, they work and busy, but every yeah. chance we get, I take it. I have over 8,000 pictures of my kids just wow. in one phone. Uh, so on a family level, that's what really we're doing. We're trying to create a good, happy memory to mm -hmm. make up for all the time that we could not do that. On a professional level, uh, well, personal, I bought my own home. I've been in it about a year ago. It's uh, customized, built the way I want it. I got my car. I'm working on finishing my degree uh, in criminal justice. It's nice. just it's taking a while because being homeless, being with kids, you have to kind of put the kids to make sure they're good first. On a professional level, I did secure a really good job. I have many titles in my job. I'm an executive director for a family fund where we do donations for shelters and police station for domestic abuse programs. I do a lot of speeches in wherever I get requested. And 99.9% .9 of that is really women. There's a few men over there. Yeah. And they have questions and I'm, I'm taking it. Maybe they're like really on the okay side since they agreed to be in the audience. Um, my other job is I'm a vice president for a commercial operation. And currently I'm working on also partnering with one person to open a restaurant. It's an upper scale American food with live entertainment in the area where I live in. Right. So <laughs> that's why I wanted to get here to say, look, it takes grit. You and I also have something in common. We have a belief, a belief in the God of our understanding, you know, which just has guided me even in the worst times of my life. Lots of prayers. I was sending them constantly. Those just were going constantly. I'm like, he's probably tired of hearing me. Many nights I slept with my pillow drenched in tears. It is yeah. amazing that I still have any tears in me for the amount of years that I have laid there and my tears dripped on the pillow in silent, just asking God. Yeah. To yeah. Just get me out of it. I just, I don't know when, I don't know how that's on you, but I, I really do not want to be here. I do want to mention just one thing about my sure. kids, uh, that with everything that they went through, they also did rise above that. They're amazing kids. My oldest son is a cop. I have two Marines. I have a social worker. She just graduated with a 4.0 and she actually just got accepted by a job wow. week is her graduation. I have another one taking classes for uh, business and the youngest one is in high school, uh, second year, and she's learned a lot about paramedic and she also wants wow. to help out. She went through a rough journey being kidnapped also and she suffered a lot too. My message is don't give up. Have a lot of determination. You get tired. It's okay. I get, get up again. Don't give up. Don't let them tell you that's how you deserve to live. If if I can do it with all the odds that were against me trying to knock me down, if I can do it and rise and get to where I am today, any woman can do it. Anybody. Yeah. Every day you get to start a new day. Absolutely. What you've done so beautifully is not be shackled by your past. You've been able- You can't let that happen. You can't let that happen. 
everything you've talked about, everything you talk about in the book, the journey, your children, how amazing they are, and your successful, powerful woman. This is what the world needs to hear. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for everything you're doing. Um, how can people support you? What is the best way to do that? We just all got like really, if anybody got any questions, I'm really easy to get a hold of. I have uh, Scott Lorenz. Uh, anybody got any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer, whether on the computer or on the phone or right. I'm willing to go in person. I am here to help out. Thank you so much for your time.